Now, last week we saw Jesus beginning his Galilean ministry after John the Baptist was imprisoned by Herod Antipas, and Jesus began by calling his first four disciples, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Today, as we continue on in, in Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus beginning his ministry of teaching and healing in the Galilean city of Capernaum. In our passage today, we will see Jesus having a very busy day and an eventful day of ministry. Now, this day is recorded in Mark 1, verses 21 to 34, though we are only going to look at part of the passage today. We'll be looking uh, at verses 21 to 28. We will see Jesus busy in service throughout this Sabbath day that expresses his power and authority and leaves us with a choice. So let's take a look at this first part of this very busy day in the ministry of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Then when they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So in verses 21 and 22, we see teaching with authority teaching with authority. These verses pick up the action as they, Jesus and his four disciples, the four disciples that have been called so far in, in this book, have entered the city of Capernaum. Now, this may refer to the same day as Jesus called these men, when they, then they went and entered into Capernaum. This may be the same day that he called those four men. Now, uh, Capernaum, this city, the, the word means town of Nahum. Now, this may be a reference to the hometown of the Old Testament prophet Nahum. However, the word Nahum also means compassion. So the name may refer to the compassionate residents that live there. The city was located on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it was a prosperous fishing town. This city was important enough to hold a Roman garrison and a customs post or a tax office where, we will see later, Matthew, called to be a disciple, worked as a tax collector. Jesus would establish Capernaum as his base of operations while ministering in Galilee after he is rejected in Nazareth. We see this in Matthew chapter 4, as well as Luke 4. Now, the Luke passage, that rejection in Nazareth happens just before uh, the parallel passage to the incidents we're going to look at. Now, back in our verse here, we see that Jesus... And the disciples went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. It seems that this was, that uh, his call to them was on Friday. So this would have been that following Sabbath. So he en they entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and immediately Jesus began to teach. Now Luke 4 tells us that it was Jesus's custom or habit to attend a synagogue on Sabbath for the Sabbath services. Now the synagogue developed as a place of worship from the exiled Jews during the Babylonian exile. 
But after their return to the land, and even after the temple was rebuilt, synagogues were still built in cities and towns around the region as a center of community life and a place of weekly worship. It functioned as a meeting hall, a school, and a courtroom for minor offenses. And one of the primary functions of the synagogue, especially on the Sabbath days, was the public reading and exposition, the explaining of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, Jesus was able to teach in the synagogue because of a policy that, that allowed any qualified man to teach the exposition of the scripture or even to read the passage of the day and to t- explain it. This was usually uh, extended to visiting rabbis, and it seems to be the case here with Jesus. We know that Paul uses this opportunity several times to present the gospel in his travels, and we see this recorded in the book of Acts. It seems that Jesus' reputation was already spreading in the region. According to Luke 4.14, he returned to Galilee and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the news was spreading. This may be why Jesus was extended the opportunity to teach on this specific Sabbath day. So Jesus taught. Now Mark does not record what Jesus taught that day, but focus on the congregation's reaction. Mark recorded that they were astonished at his teaching. Now the word astonished here is the idea of being amazed, in shock, or to be astounded that you nearly lose mental composure. This word comes from a word that means to strike. Jesus' teaching was a shock. But why was it a shock? Why were they astonished? Mark explains that Jesus' teaching was that of having authority and not as one of the scribes. Jesus taught with authority. The word authority means power, rule, dominion, and rights. Jesus taught with the conviction and confidence that he had divinely been given authority to teach. His teaching was not like the scribes or rabbis who were the professional interpreters of the scriptures. The teaching of the scribes was primarily based on second-hand authority. They created their views typically from long quotations of other learned rabbis. Their teachings were often complex, pedantic, and focused on minute details of the Levitical laws and the many regulations added by men to the law. Jesus' teaching was so different that it was shocking. They were amazed at his clarity, his conviction, and authority as he properly explained the Old Testament passage. But the shock and surprise of a new authoritative teaching would not be the only surprise for that congregation that day. Let's look at our next few verses, beginning in verse 23. Now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Here in these verses, we see dealing with demons. Dealing with demons. It appears that as Jesus was teaching, that in wandered a man from the community, probably not a regular attender of the synagogue. Someone may be known by most of the people there, but most of the people probably kept away from him. Maybe the religious and respectable suspected demonic influence or possession, but didn't do anything. We, we just don't know. That's all speculation. But it does seem that he just wandered in and interrupted Jesus while he was teaching. Mark says that this man had an unclean spirit. More literally, this would read, with a spirit unclean. The word unclean can also mean impure or defiled. The idea of this word is generally a ritual unclean, uncleanness, uncleanliness. But when we see this word used, as is here, as an adjective describing spirit, then the reference is to a demon. And Mark uses this term, this phrase, 11 times in his gospel account, more than Matthew and Luke. The way this phrase reads here is that the unclean spirit had control over this individual or that this man was in the sphere of the spirit's control. Now, why this spirit had this man enter the synagogue on this day is unknown. And for whatever reason, the spirit through the man cried out or shouted, likely interrupted Jesus's teaching. Now, the King James and New King James has a phrase, a declarative, uh, a declarative or commanding statement of let us alone. And this is uh, presented as the first thing that the spirit said. Now, this phrase is actually generally considered not original to the text. But if it is, then it seems to be an outburst of fear in recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. The demon then asks Jesus two questions. One writer says that the demon is attempting to put Jesus on the defensive, while another says that these questions are from a place of fear. What are you doing here? Have you come to destroy us? Now, the first part of the opening question, strictly translated, would be, what we and you? But that doesn't make sense in English, so we uh, correct that when we translate it. The idea of that is, what do I, what do we have to do with you? The question seems to be recognizing hostility and may be understood to mean, why do you meddle with us? The demon then identifies Jesus at, from uh, and his hometown, calling him Jesus the Nazarene. Now, this may have been done with notes of scorn and disdain in the voice because Nazareth was not viewed very highly by other Jews. 
Can anything good come from Nazareth? So it, it, it seems that this first question may be trying to throw Jesus off, put him on his back foot, but maybe of a place of fear. Come, uh, coming from the demon of a place of fear, excuse me. Now the next question is probably one of fear and terror. Now demons, being rebellious angels that followed Satan, knew who Jesus, the Son of God, was. The demons that encounter Jesus in the Gospels often ask this question of him. Have they come to judge? Has he come to judge them? They know that at the appointed time they will be judged and cast into the lake of fire with Satan. They know they are irredeemable. So this demon asks, did you come to destroy us? Now, the use of the plural pronouns here, we and us, may indicate that multiple demons may be influencing or possessing this man. But more likely, in studying this, more likely what seems to be is that this one is referring to the entire realm. Or at the very least, maybe referring to any and all the demons in the immediate area. We'll see later on in the verse that he heals and casts out many demons. The demon then identifies Jesus for who he truly is, the Holy One of God. One writer says the demon displays a supernatural insight as yet denied to human actors in the story. The reader is expected to note it and to adopt it despite the dubious source from which it comes. So as we're going through this, we are to recognize that the demon sees Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, yet the Jews around him, maybe even his disciples around him, haven't quite recognized who Jesus is. But as we're reading this, we're supposed to go, oh, even if the demon is saying this, they recognize this truth about him, and I need to accept that. Now, instead of calling Jesus the Son of God, as Mark did in the opening verse, uh, chapter 1-1, Jesus is called the Holy One of God. This shows a clear distinction and contrast between Jesus and the demon, described as unclean or impure. Now, this word of holy here may also be referring uh, to, to being holy that links him, excuse me, to the Holy Spirit, who is the mark of Jesus' ministry, messianic ministry, and who enables Jesus to perform the wonders that he does on earth. So we can see either this distinct contrast between Jesus and the demon. Or we can also see, and maybe even both, we can see that the Holy One is this linking of him, tying him to the Spirit, who is supposed to be the mark of the Messiah, enabling the Messiah. And so we see these links together. Now, Jesus did not let this disruption become an issue. He dealt with it quickly. In verse 
25, he sees that Jesus rebukes the demon by telling it to be quiet. The command of silencing the demon has the idea of muzzling an animal. This more this could be translated be muzzled. Jesus did not need or apparently wanted any publicity or testimony from demons. He is seen consistently throughout the gospels commanding them to be quiet. One writer says that, the, that, Jesus, that if Jesus had accepted the testimony about himself from the demon, he would have opened himself up to the charge of working with them. Now in Matthew 12, 24, the Pharisees themselves make such a claim, saying now when the, uh, and we read in that verse, now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So to let the demons continue to openly speak about him, no matter how accurate that statement, could have added to the speculations of the Pharisees. But that is an opinion of why he, he silenced them. Jesus then commanded the demon to leave the man. Jesus, with three words, commanded the demon to leave the man. I know there's four words in the English, but it's three words. Come out of him. It's a straightforward command. Jesus recognizes the demon as a distinct personality apart from the man possessed. So Jesus identifies that there is a reality of evil spirits, of, of demonic spirits not just some force, but that is an actual reality, personal, uh, personality, separate from the individual it's possessing. Now, this demon, of course, would have liked to have remained, but the command of the Son of God could not be ignored. The demon left the man, causing convulsions, and through another great cry and a loud voice, he leaves. Now, in the parallel passage of this in Luke 4, verses 31 to 37, we see that the demon threw the man to the ground in the midst of the people standing there, but left the man unharmed. The demon left violently, causing him to convulse and with a great shout, but not doing any physical damage to the victim. The congregation that day likely never forgot that service. Astounding teaching with authority and an exorcism all in the same service. But let's look at the next couple of verses to see how they respond. Starting in verse 27. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So in verses 27 and 28, we see the people's reactions. People's reactions. Again, we see those present in the synagogue were amazed at what had happened. The word used here 
to be uh, used here to be astounded or amazed. It's, it's the idea of to be affected by wonder. They were so amazed and awed that the turn that they turned to their neighbors and start asking each other questions about what they had seen and heard. You can almost hear the room abuzz with conversations. Wow, what was that? What is this new teaching? He has the authority to command demons. They obey him. You can hear the buzz in the room as there's chatter. Now the King James and New King James connects that phrase with authority to the phrase about commanding demons, but it could actually be connected to the phrase about the doctrine or teaching, the, the, the preceding phrase. And if we look back at verse 22, we see that it's the same word for authority that is used here in verse 27. And in verse 22, that authority was connected to Jesus' teaching. And I think it probably should be here in verse 27 as well. And many other Bible versions uh, make that change. The ESV reads it this way. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Now, this word that we have here, questioned, they questioned among themselves. It means a dispute, debate, or argue. This wasn't a formal debate in the synagogue, but informal discussion around what they had seen and heard. One of the remarkable things they were probably discussing was how Jesus exercised the demon. Exorcism among the Jews consisted of elaborate and complex magical words and formulas bringing incense, burning it, saying the right phrases in the right order with the right inflections. But Jesus commanded the demon to leave with a simple command of three words. Jesus had the power and authority to command demons and have them obey. One writer comments how pathetic it is that they were occupied with the effect and failed to inquire further about the person before them. How pathetic it is that they were occupied with the effect and failed to inquire about the person before them. Now this discussion, of course, would begin to polarize the people and the religious leaders later on in Jesus' ministry, coming to a head. And we saw that in, in Matthew 12. But here in verse 28, we see that the rest of Galilee heard of the events that happened in the, in the Capernaum synagogue on this Sabbath. Jesus' fame or the news about Jesus was going throughout the region. There was no stopping it right now. They were amazed at what he could do. They may have thought of Jesus as a good teacher or a prophet, but they never really accepted him as Messiah and Savior. The city of Capernaum would reject him, to which Jesus said of the city in Matthew eleven twenty three, 23, and you, Capernaum, who are exalted in heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, 
it would have remained until this day. The people didn't know what to make of Jesus. He seems to be at, at this point some upstart rabbi with no formal training, but authoritative teaching. He apparently is some sort of miracle worker. At least he has power over demons, as they have just seen, as no one has seen before. Now, as they talk about what happened, they don't know or realize who they had teaching them. They heard a demon call this man the Holy One of God, but did not inquire about it. Everybody needs to make a choice of how they recognize Jesus. Do we recognize him as the judge of sin and sinners? Do we recognize his authority? Are we astonished in such a Savior and Lord? But we can't merely be curious about who he is. We can't just be amazed by Jesus. Being amazed by him or curious about him isn't enough. We must make a choice and recognize him for who he is. Yes, the judge of sin and sinners, but also the savior of sinners. And by the grace of God, our savior. And we need to make that choice. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the reminders we have in this section that Jesus, being the Son of God, not only had the authority of teaching, but had the knowledge of teaching and was the only one who could truly, properly explain every passage. Lord, we can only do that now as we study your word. So we thank you that we have your completed word, that we can understand it. But Lord, we need to work at it. And we need your help to understand it properly. And Lord, we thank you that who, for who Christ is and what he has done. Lord, for those of us that need to make decisions about him, need to make the choice about him of how we recognize Jesus for, for who he is, is he just a good teacher? Or is he the son of God who died for our sins? Help us to find, help us to find you correctly. Help us to make the right choice so, Father, I pray for those here that need to make decisions, whatever that decision may be, salvation, baptism, whatever. We pray that you will guide them and help them to make the decision necessary and help us to be, to help them. Help us to continue to make the right choice and to recognize Christ for who he is. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.